Welcome home, family. You're tuning in to the Bondcast, where we elevate the voices of men of color in education and the things that matter to them. I'm your host, Damon Harris, and I'm co-founder and co-leader of the Building Our Network of Diversity, or Bond Project. You can find out more about the Bond Project, including our blog, professional learning videos, and podcasts at bondeducators.org online or at bondeducators on social media. In this episode, we're talking to school leader extraordinaire, Dr. Norman Coleman, about his philosophy regarding key principles of leadership. He's going to talk to us about leadership in general and how identity plays a critical role in moving groups of adults in the right direction. Thanks for coming through, Norman. Glad to be here today. Well, we appreciate you, man. And so, Norman, you and I were together on some other in some other meeting uh, talking and someone who was at the meeting said, hey, man, I just heard that Dr. Coleman talk about his principles of leadership. I haven't heard it laid out like that before. You got to get him on the podcast. So because we were actually thinking we were going to shut down the podcast and already have like a season one already bookended. And then um, our guy Kunal got at me and said, hey, man, we got to get him in season one. So I appreciate you coming through and spending some time with us, man, and, and sharing sharing your genius and your brilliance with the rest of the world. Yeah, appreciate you guys and having me on here to um, be able to share this, you know, share with other brothers and, you know, whoever's out here in this network, listen to this podcast. There you go. And um, so one of the questions that we always ask to start off is how'd you get to your, to this point in your career? What made you decide to become an educator? How'd you end up becoming the school leader that you are today? Yeah, yeah thank you for that question. Um, you know, like, like many of us, it, it's a journey, you know, it's a process. Um, I actually had this affinity um, when I was younger for um, law. And so I, I initially thought I wanted to be a lawyer um, and do something in the legal field. And that was really driven by just a lot of injustice, um, injustice within my family, within my community, just with, with within the people who are surrounded with me each and every day, day in and day out, right? Just watching it happen, right? Experiencing as a student in school and just experiencing just my day-to-day um, interactions with other, um, but also had this, 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 this dire infinity for um, computers, right? And science. Um, and so part of that was like, I was struggling, do I wanna be a lawyer? Do I wanna be a computer engineer? So I was going back and forth between those things. I had a love for math and I had a love for science. So it kind of made sense, but I also had a deeper, stronger um, love for injustice. Um, um, so the lawyer thing was 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 driving me. And then, you know, as I as I moved through life, people always just, you know, spoke things into me. I've always been attentive to when people spoke and I, I've just learned to embrace things and learn to deflect things. Right. Embrace if I felt like it was worthy or kind of aligned where I'm at and deflect if I felt like mm, nah, this is not really for me or or if it's or if it's particularly negative, right? Something that's trying to like hinder me or hold me back. So I just always heard people say like, you're really good with kids. Like you're really good with people. Like you should do something that is with people and kids. So I thought, you know, so that took the computer engineering thing kind of a backseat because computer engineering, you know, you're kind of working on projects. Yeah, you're going to be around people, but not really large groups of people and engaging with people all the time. You're going to have a lot of individual projects and things of that nature. But that's okay. The lawyer thing, that's still could work for me um, in the sense that I can still work with people, you know, still um, push against these things that I see that are impacting our, our communities and our, and our people. But as I, you know, continue to go through school, the education thing just just kept coming up. And then I have a family of educators too. So not, not that they encouraged me or pushed me into that. They just were educators. So just being around them, volunteering and things of that nature. And I just saw that there was a niche for for educators. And I think I have a unique experience in a sense that I had a number of black male teachers. I hear people all the time talk about they didn't have black male teachers, but from elementary to middle to high school, there was at least one or two black male teachers that I had in a class. And I think that when I reflect back, I think that was critical because I saw myself in them. And I said, you know what, this is something I could do. And so as I went into education, I've, I've always had this desire, continuous desire of how I can do more and be more and give give more, right? Have more impact, I guess is the best way to say that. And, you know, as a teacher, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm having impact. I've got 20 kids, 30 kids. I got a hundred and some kids, you know, whatever. When I was teaching secondary level, it's like, um, but I was like, I got to have a greater impact. And the funny story is I always told my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be an AP I'm just going to be assistant principal. I think that's a cool role. My wife said, no, you're not. You're going to be more, you're, you're not going to be satisfied with that. I said, oh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. 
Lo and behold, came a, you know, I became a team leader and started moving up the other roads, got to an AP. And I was like, immediately I was like, yeah, it's not enough. <laughs> and so then, then I, you know, ended up moving up to be, you know, being a principal, um, which it was, isn't my end game either. Um, but it's kind of the season I'm in right now. So I'm just maximizing that. But within this role, all those things that I wanted to do actually came back, right? The lawyer piece, right? I have a strong affinity for policy and regulation. So, you know, the policy and things that you're implementing in your school, right? Those are kind of like the laws you're setting, right? For your school and, and for your community. And then you're looking at the school system that you work within, how their regulations and policies are aligned with the things you're trying to do, right? You're trying to push this equity. You're trying to push, you know, things that are going to matter to the people and make sure that people have access and opportunity. So I think of my role as an administrator and just thinking kind of the path I've been on, right? That's some of the things that kind of drive me, right? As, like I said, having black male educators, seeing them growing up, um, just hearing a story from my parents about what they went through in school. The, you know, my parents grew up in the civil rights movement. So hearing their stories about how they had to walk miles and miles of school when it was a, a white a school right across the street, like kind of where they lived at and things of that nature and just the legal aspects. I think you combine all of those things kind of makes the principal role, the administrator role, ideal fit for me because I get to impact communities. I get to do the policy thing, but I also get to set kids up for success. Um, being a young man who came from a highly impacted community where you didn't always have the outlets. And a lot of people in my community, um, unfortunately, a lot of my, even my close friends end up being incarcerated, right? Going to jail, you know, and for different things they did. So it was like my opportunity to go back and say, you know what? What can I do to kind of change the trajectory for a lot of young men and young, young women who are growing up in these communities who are very talented? Like all my friends that even the ones doing cars are extremely talented, but they got caught up in the wrong things and wrong paths. And, you know, majority of them thankfully turned their lives around and got back in a positive pathway. But that was a uh, experience that I, I want to try to help others, you know, avoid if possible. So that's kind of the story that, in a nutshell of how I got to where I'm at now. Yeah, that's probably the story of a lot of us, man, myself included, in terms of getting into this field because we're trying to trying to fill fill a hole that that was missing you know, with a lot of our friends and family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that makes sense to me. I didn't have all those black men uh, teaching me back like you, but I wish I had that too. Maybe I would have been a different major when I started out. <laughs> and so now we we could talk about what makes a great teacher, what makes a great educator. Uh, we have some other folks that we talk to now and again about those types of things. But we got you here because we want to talk about school leadership mm-hmm. and the principles of leadership. Mm-hmm. So can you lay out um, succinctly some of the, the key principles of leadership? Because I know that we're going to delve into identity um, mm-hmm. pretty deeply uh, in a second. But I want to yeah. hear an overall layout of what you think are the important pieces of becoming a leader. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so when I think about, you know, leadership, um, the principles of leadership, um, uh, I've been looking at different concepts and, and, and terminology that to kind of capture in a succinct way. And there were there were eight terms that I came up with. I just added two more. So I'm up to 10 and it's probably going to grow from there um, as I kind of sit in this space and just try to really unpack what leadership is. But Excuse me, in a in a abbreviated way, I'll touch on each of the 10 components. Um, and as you shared, going to one area um, that kind of spins off of the components um, and think about identity. Um, so so the first principle I think about is, is character. And the, the things to note before I go into them, they all start with C. So I'm thinking the principles of leadership, you know, related around C. And Interesting enough, I, before I jump into it, I want to tie this piece into it. Um, I've always had this, this I don't know, this side thing that a lot of people don't know about me. Like I, I write poems. I used to write poetry all the time and poems. So alliteration, that it's just something that sticks with me. So a lot of things that how I learned and how I remember things, I put it in alliteration. Like all starts with the same letter, right? And just kind of sticks with me. So a number of things I'll present through my leadership is alliterations, which makes it easier for people to remember, right? Three I's, three S's, whatever it may be. And that's where the C's kind of come from. It's just a alliteration thing that I tie into a number of things I do, but that's where it kind of comes from. This is this desire to write poetry and things of that nature. There you go. That's um, the educator in you, man. You, you're not, you're saying this so that people can access it and hold on. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'll, I'll just unpack the 10 principles as they stand at this moment. Um, and just like I said, give a brief um, intro to each of them. Um, one of the things I, I share is that I want to elaborate on a more, which I will do in other 
venues and other areas, but this is just kind of a summary of, of kind of what they are at this moment. So the first one for me is um, first C and of the 10 principles of leadership is character. Um, and I think of character as just the individual of who you are and how you live your life within and without of your organization, right? Just that consistency of, of who you are as an individual in a sense that whichever environment you walk into, um, you're, you're consistent, right? People know you, like if they know you in your work environment as someone who's a person of integrity, a person of trust, a person of loyalty, that should be the same in your personal life. Um, I was think personal and corporate, right? Um, in your corporate environment, your personal environment, should mirror each other to the best of your, you know, to your best of your ability. So that's the first one I think of when I think about character. Um, the second one, C, would be competence. Just thinking about your skills and, and your talents and um, and being able to be diversified in your skills and talents, right? As you look to grow and develop yourself and grow and develop other people as a, as a leader from a leadership standpoint. Um, the third one I put down is commitment, finding a way to make things happen, right? And, and just, I grew up, I grew up in a household and I'm, and I'm the same way now with even with my, you know, my three sons. I said, just stay ready, you know, so you don't have to get ready. Right. That's been a common phrase. Right. And so to me, that just says that commitment. Right. I'm commitment to excellence. I'm commitment to being better. And it's just trying to grow and not making excuses for why I'm doing things or not doing things. So it's just really that that commitment is a, is a third C. Um, the fourth C, I put collaborator. And I think of this as like having a range. Right. Do you have people range is what I kind of call it. Like, what's the range of people you can reach and interact with, right? Oftentimes, I'll notice, like, through collaboration, like, some people can only collaborate in certain environments, settings. And, but really, as a leader, you got to be able to expand your ability to collaborate with diverse people, right? Across economics, across race, across gender, across beliefs. So that collaborator is a, is a, the fourth one for me. Uh, the fifth one is communicator. Are you able to articulate your message, um, clearly articulate your message? So how well do you communicate it? Not just verbally, but also in writing um, and in other forms, right? One big thing, you know, my, uh, you know, I got this from my wife. I can't even take claim for this. She used to always talk about body language. Like your body language says more than your words. Your body language says more than your words. Um, my wife is an engineer, but her, her minor is communication. So she always says, you always got to remember your body language, your body language. So I think about that when communicating, um, um, not just my words, what are my words are saying, but what is my body in the image am I projecting as well too? Um, confidence. Um, is the fifth one. Um, actually, the sixth one, confidence is the sixth one. Um, mindset, really have the mindset of a winner and not saying that you won't lose sometimes, but having that that confidence, knowing that whatever I step into, I, I feel confidence assured that I will win, right? I'm going to find a way to win. I'm going to find a way to overcome it. Um, interesting enough, I, I was we were watching the Super Bowl and I said this to my son when in that fourth quarter, I said, I'm telling you right now, the Rams are going to sit back and throw the Cooper Cup every single play because he's the most confident person on that field, one of the most confident people in that field, and they're going to go down the field with a Cooper Cup and win it. And what happened? <laughs> and it just, it, to me, that was just confidence. I just saw Stafford's confidence in him as a receiver, even though he had other guys, but he just had this confidence in this Cooper Cup of who he was as a receiver. And, I, and that's what he did. He went down and went. But I, to me, that was just an example. What I said to my son, I said, that's an example of confidence, right? At all costs, I believe in him. He believes in me. I believe what we're going to do. And I'm just going to go at him and we're going to try to get it done, you know, and it worked out for him um, in that example. But I also think there's a thin line, right? There's a thin line between confidence and arrogance. I, I, I do want to say, I do want to say that in a sense, like confidence is to me is really about others, right? I'm, I'm believing this for others, not only for myself, but also for others, right? But arrogance, I think it's all about myself, right? It's all about inflating myself and being about me. So you got to be careful with that, you know, that confidence and arrogance is a thin line there, um, which I think you, some people can come off too confident, where it almost seems arrogant. But I think if your confidence is in a sense, like securing yourself and really looking to help and serve and others, then I think um, it's a more of a safer place. That's just how I kind of think of it. Um, the seventh thing is credible. C is credible. Um, are you authentic, right? In, in every situation, right? Uh, do you have credibility? 
you know, do people know when you come into an environment, what they're going to get from you. Right. Uh, not that, you know, if you're calling somebody to come and say, I'm going to invite this person over to my house for dinner. I'm going to invite this person into a certain circle or environment of people, introduce them to an environment of people. Are you a credible person, someone that can be trusted and known that you're going to come in there and represent yourself well? Um, Cause that invitation is letting you into their world. So just think about being credible. Number eight is correction. The ability to handle feedback. And not get into your feelings, right? Because we're always looking to grow and improve. But can you handle correction? I know oftentimes as as men, I'm going to say men, uh, sometimes, you know, we get in our feelings when someone corrects us or checks us, you know, because regardless of where we're at in our life and oftentimes our position, right? I, I always say as administrators, you know, as a principal of my building, I tell my sister, hey, if I'm off, yeah, check me, let me know. Because I'd rather be corrected, right? And rather do something right than sit out here and, and do something wrong that's hurting or damaging people. So just being able to take feedback, um, critical feedback and, uh, and be corrected. The two, the two new ones that I actually kind of added to the eight, I put circle. Um, when you think of a circle, a circle is, a, is complete, right? A full circle is complete. So I think about the interconnection of everything you do, right? So my circle, right? My friends, my my people that I'm with, the things I'm engaged with, am I closing that circle, right? Am I keeping everything moving in a circular motion and keeping it, the interconnectedness? I just think of the interconnectedness of things. That's what I think about circles. So as a leader, how are things interconnected together leading to success, right? Whatever the goal or outcome is that we want to do. We think about like school improvement plans, right? There's a there's a circle there, right? You got your parents, you got your students, you got your staff, you got, it's, it's a big circle. So how are those things all being connected together to ultimately, you know, reach your performance goals that you would have for yourself. And then the last thing I put in the, the newest one was um, closure. How are you able to bring closure, right? As a leader, right? Leaders, we have a lot of ideals, a lot of, you know, creativity, but how are you bring closure to that, right? How are you summarizing that? And when, when you close it, it's just not closing it so it ends, but closing it in a sense so that it can build onto something else, right? I'm closing this section of this ideal, but it's going to be able to connect a bridge to something else. So I think about that in the closure piece. I think when you close something, I don't want it to be finalized, finished, that you never hear it again, but it's something that's a bridge building up to something else. So I close out, I think of steps, right? You close out this step, but this step is actually going to build me for the next step. So um, I think of closure in that sense. So those are the 10 principles of leadership. So I'll, I'll stop right there for a second. Um, Got you. Back to you. <laughs> and I, for, I forgot to tell the audience they need to get uh, some, some pen and paper down, man, or their, their notes app on their phone. So they could get these and we'll we'll reset. So we'll give you time to go. You can hit pause on the podcast so you can go grab some stuff or hit rewind so you can take these notes as well. So there's a, there's a bunch to unpack, man, across all all 10. And I think about the, the 10 you laid out. It um, reminded me of the the 10, the alignment with the 10 uh, professional standards for educational leaders. Right. The okay. sales or the pistols, depending on who you're talking to. And so like that, they are, they're 10 of those too. And they're similar to some of the stuff you were talking about. The first piece that jumped out at me when I listened to you talk was when you're talking about um, principle four, the collaborator okay. and how you have to have people range. And so yeah. you're saying who, who are the types of people that you can reach with, with your message. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me think about how school leaders in particular, but leaders, are, I, I guess, across a bunch of different contexts, but they have to talk to stakeholders from a variety of different backgrounds and bring folks together to like, sometimes it's just a variety of folks, a diversity of thought on the team, let alone the students or the community members or the business partners and stuff like that. Like, how do you go about trying to build those skills, man, for, for that? Like, how do you coach your, your APs or your up and coming leaders or the, the folks you mentor who are getting into the position? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, there's a a couple of things I think about. I I, I always want to know where people, like where your foundation is, like, like where, where your understanding of, um, let's say for that, in this sense, communication, right? Like your your level of collaboration, right? If you've only been at a certain level of collaboration, right? you, You 
are limited in some ways, right? Not that you can't collaborate, but you're limited. And so, okay, building that understanding of where they're at and then say, how do we build it out from there? So what I, what I try to do intentionally is um, I have a, I'm, I have a different style of how I go about doing it. I'm going to put you in a fire type person and, co- and coach from, from the back. Like I give you the tools up front and say, think about this, think about this, but then I'll push you in the fire and say, okay, go out there and do it. And I'm going to, stamp in the back and kind of help you support it. So when I think about the collaboration, when I see that, for example, if I see that you have difficulty or a limited capacity, that's a better word to say, better limited capacity in communicating or engaging with hostile parents, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you in a situation where this is a hostile parent, right? I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to need you to process through this with this parent. I'm going to stand back here, right? I'm not going to let you fall. I'm always going to try to be there to kind of support and coach, but put you in that situation. And then to me, I'm just, I'm getting feedback, right? I'm going to interject things and kind of keep the conversation moving so it doesn't go off the rail. But then I'm gathering feedback, right? Mentally, right? I, don't, I try not to write notes when I'm doing. I try to remember things in my mind um, as best as I can. So I can come back and give you some feedback on what I saw. If I had to write a note because it's something important I don't want to forget, something I may think of it, I might have a little note to myself. But then I'll come back and say, hey, when you were communicating with this hostile parent, which I know this is an area of strength, this is an area of growth and we're growing for you. This is what I saw you did well. These are some areas where I saw you struggle, right? Particularly like if one area that I see with people in, in this particular situation is when a parent gets aggressive, right? They lose their leadership confidence, right? They start to get, they start to get frazzled. Like the moment you do that, you, 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 the parent loses confidence in you, right? Like, like an assurance that you know what you're talking about, right? And you know what to do. So those are some just areas I think about when I think about collaboration. So I just look at areas of growth, right? And put you in those places. Um, for example, I think of one like, like the whole, the big, I think that one of the biggest areas that people don't have opportunities in is, is that large organizational piece, right? Businesses and things of that nature. Like how do you connect with people outside of a school setting? So if there's an event or something I can be a part of, I'll invite someone to a meeting of that, right? Come and see how this larger stakeholder thinks because how we think as educators, business business people don't think like that, right? They're thinking bottom line products. So we're talking about people, emotions. They're not thinking about that. They're just thinking about how you get from the here to there, right? How do you move this product forward? So put them in environments like that so they can and try to model how you communicate and just try to help them see the experiences within this. So when I think about collaboration, it's really like putting yourself in the different environments to kind of help you develop that. And even for myself, if it's like an environment that I'm not certain of or sure of, I say, you know what? Yeah, let me go sit here. I'll tell you a thing that I that I did, and I probably I, I don't know if I ever said this publicly, but I'm I'll share it here this time. So when I used to be, I used to always sit at tables of people who were different than me all the time. Like if I would go to a meeting sometimes, and I would see like a cluster of administrators at a school that was very different than mine, right? I would go sit at that table. I may be the only brother at the table, right? But I would sit there and just engage with them because I want to hear like, what was their conversation? Like, what were they collaborating? What were their discussions about, right? And so you that helped you understand like, okay, we're all talking education, but we're really not talking education, right? There's some different things that people are collaborating and talking about. So I intentionally used to do that with myself from when I was younger, right? I would go sit by older people in certain places and restaurants and stuff, just sit in unique places just to hear different ways people talk and how they engage. And that was a strategy I just used to kind of help me develop my ability to collaborate with others across different cities that made people be different than me. Yeah, and that made me think about a. Um, you said that another C is cultivate, man. Like cultivate yeah. intelligence. You know, yeah. I mean? you go around getting information from folks. But when I was listening to you too talk about the the upset parent um, or student and how folks had to engage, I mean, you coach people along. Made me think about the your principle number nine, the circle piece, where you're talking mm-hmm. about the interconnectedness because yeah. of somebody who's who's supporting a parent who's upset or a staff member who's upset, a colleague or a student or client who's upset, all of those other principles, they all play. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if a student doesn't believe you're competent and can, mm-hmm. ha- can help them resolve this yes. situation, then they're not going to be uh, pacified. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not going to be ameliorated. If you have a parent who's upset, but she knows she doesn't trust your character, Yes. You're going to follow through and do what you say you're going to do, right? Like all those things. And it doesn't work. I mean, if you can't communicate the yeah. right way or try to build this solution together and that collaboration, like you say, like all those things are interconnected, man. So that circle principle really, really ring resonates in that circumstance. So you talked about 
Well, let me, before I'm going to go, we're going to dig into, before we jump into identity, man, we're going to dig one more thing, man, the confidence versus yeah. arrogance thing, because so many black and brown men mm-hmm. get labeled as <laughs> arrogant yes. you know, versus confident. Mm-hmm. And how do you think we were able to guard against that? Are there, are there steps that you take? Are there uh, behaviors that you practice or something like that to try to make sure you communicate confidence versus arrogance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the one big thing for me is humility, right? Like I, I feel confident enough in myself that I can lower my my level, my lower who I am for the comfort of another person to engage them. This is key just to engage you. I'm not lowering myself throughout the conversation, just enough to engage you and then elevate it up. Right. That's kind of what I do. So I'll come in and I won't come off aggressive. Right. I won't come off what I know. Right. Even if I know a lot about the topic, I'll just be very neutral. Right. And engage them where they're at. Once I see where they're at, then I know how I can elevate the conversation. Right. And you got to realize like some people, you can elevate the conversation to 10. And they can handle that. Some of you might only go to two or three and it's filling out where the person is because if I want to get to 10, but I know I can only get you to two or three, that means I got to come back and engage you around that topic another few times because this is where you're at. But oftentimes I think what we do is we come so hard because we want to prove ourselves who we are. We're intelligent and smart and you just crush people and then you lose them (laughs) Um, versus allowing them to build up their self-confidence and awareness and seeing that you're kind of with them. Um, I was thinking like from when I was a teacher, right? I was, I met kids where they were at, right? If you came in my room and you knew how to read two, three grade levels above, I went there with you. If you didn't know how to, you were reading below grade, I went there. And I think that's kind of the practice I use when I think about that confidence and arrogance, right? I never lower myself. My, you know, that's one thing my parents always tell me, you don't, my mother used to always say to me, you don't ever lower yourself to make other people feel better or comfortable. I, I hold that assured. But I meet you where you're at and build up from there. I'm not going to go down. If you start to go down, I'm going to turn you back up because I'm just not going to go down. But I build them up slowly until we get to a level where, where the, you know, where there's connectedness. But once again, I know everyone can't go to the level where you're at on certain topics. Um, and so you just got to, you know, bridge that slowly and build it up to get to a place where you do have some understanding and oftentimes realizing, right. They may not ever be at the level that you're at with that, but that's okay. Right. You, you raise their level of awareness so that you're at a, a competent or comfortable level where you can engage on that topic or that discussion. No doubt. And the word I was, the word that was flashing in my head, man, was vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, so. I'm saying like, I'm going to be vulnerable with you so that we can, we can sort of make a connection. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'll be vulnerable with me and we'll, we'll grow together. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So all of these at the heart, or I guess these 10 principles, they are a part of the foundation mm-hmm. of any leader's sort of leadership identity. I've heard you mm-hmm. say. Yes. And so talk to us a little bit more about what you mean by leadership identity. Okay. So um, leadership identity for me um, and, and as I think about how I like want to frame it or, or share this, I put as a person full awareness, full awareness of their self. Um, and within that full awareness of who you are, you embrace every aspect of that, right? My strengths, my weaknesses, my good, my bad, my indifferences, right? But just being fully aware of who yourself is, right? In the, in the most purest form. And then intertwining that into your life, right? Um, and how do you use the fullness of who you are, the awareness of you are to inspire, right? Others to influence others, um, for growth and development and leadership. So you oftentimes think about when you come into a building, right? Any, any leader in any building can tell you that there are people who immediately gravitate to them. There are people who are kind of like, I think on the fence, yeah, this a little bit. And there are people who may not fully connect with you. That's just the reality of any leadership position you're in. Um, but I just think within the midst of that, like, how do I be true to myself? Right. Um, but still at the same time are able to influence those who are my champions and those who are, you know, or, you know, those who are my critics. Right. And that's where I think that understanding your identity, having a full awareness of yourself, like I said, who you are as an individual helps you in moving forward. Um, when I see, when I see, sometimes I see leaders make decisions. Right. And I'd be like, is that truly who you are? Is that truly what you believe? Because at the end of the day, if it's not true to yourself and who you are as an individual and how you lead, right, it's going to come back and 
bite you somewhere down the road. You're going to be have to try to cover up or fix something versus just being true to yourself um, as an individual and understand and being OK, saying, you know what, you know more than me in that area. Right. That's the area I'm learning and growing in. I'm allow you to take the lead on this and let me walk and learn from you and catch up to speed to you. Uh, but once again, that's part of your identity, feeling comfortable in who you are and within yourself, right? You even touched on a little bit of that vulnerability. Am I vulnerable enough to say, you know what? I know I'm really good in this, right? But this area that I, you know, I need to learn and grow in as well. So I think that's what I think about that identity is about awareness of self, you know? Sure. And yeah, because I, I hear that too. And the, the, one of the other words that jumps into my mind is authenticity. Right? Yeah. You're saying like, are you connected to yourself? Like, are you secure with yourself? Mm-hmm. And are you being yourself and being true to yourself? Because it it shows right? whether it's through your body language or through your levels of discomfort and how you're talking about a, a subject area. It shows if you're not true to yourself, if you're not being authentic. And when when folks know that you are authentic as a as a leader, then they feel more comfortable bringing their authentic selves to the table and doing the work that y'all have to do as a team. Exactly. So what do you, what do you believe? Cause you, you named a couple of different things, man, like self-awareness, authenticity, comfort in one's own skin mm-hmm. as being a part of the um, leadership identity. What do you think has the greatest impact on mm-hmm. determining that? Like, so what I think has the greatest impact is your, is your, personal blueprint um and for me this is like the hugest the biggest part of this whole identity thing right I, when i think about a blueprint right we all know a blueprint is um is a is a design right for how you build a structure right and so if i build a say i build a three-bedroom house right what do I want the master bedroom to look like? What do I want to, to get two guest rooms to look like, right? What do I want my bathroom to look like, right? You, you, the designer, right, of that, of that blueprint plan puts measurements and things in there that they want in there, right? But I think it's different, right, when it comes to us as people, right? We're bu- our blueprint, right, is our gifts, our talents, and our experiences, right? When you were in kindergarten, right, what did that kindergarten teacher tell you about who you were, right, as a young African-American black male, right? That became part of your blueprint, right? So you go in all these different rooms, right? All these different experiences in life, right? And it's building your blueprint. And so we get to this place as adults, right? And we never took time to understand our blueprint, right? Because everything that we experienced and happened through our lives, right? Was part of our blueprint design, right? It's part of the house that's building a structure. And you may, and, and, and you know, when you grow, right? You got to remodel, right? You know, if you say you got two kids, you live in a two bedroom house and now you got 10 kids, you probably need to remodel, right? Get a bigger house, right? Change your blueprint, right? You need to get a bigger blueprint, something to fill your space up. So I think that's what identity comes in, because I think when it comes to gifts, I think every person is born with a gift. You just got to discover what your gift is, right? Talent is something you develop, right? You develop your talent, right? You have a unique gift. Talent is what you develop and experiences you engage in help bring that gifts and talents out. But those experiences also can damage your gifts and talents, right? If you always, if you grew up in an area where someone's always telling you you're not good enough, right? I grew up, like my mother was a single mother, right? What's the narrative on single mothers, right? Single mothers, the kids don't make, you know, they struggle in school, poverty, da 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 and that, right? Those are narratives, right? You believe those narratives, right? That becomes your blueprint, like your mental blueprint, which becomes your, you know, your actions, right? Leads into your actions, your beliefs. Then it impacts, you know, who you become. Um, and so that's what I think about when I think about identity. I think the most important thing is understanding your blueprint, which comes back to that self-awareness. If I understood how this part of my life has impacted me, right? Now I got to make some decisions, right? Do I want to believe that? as my story, do I want to alter or change that part of my life? Right. To, so to move forward in my decisions. Yeah, man. And that, that, that makes me think about well, a bunch of different things, man. The first one was you're talking about blueprints and you build these structures and sometimes you have to remodel. Like my wife, she, she thought of me as a fixer upper you know, we got <laughs> together. So yeah. she continually remodeling me for the better. For the better. I love you. Tracy. So the, um, also when you're talking about, the, like how your blueprint is a part of the stuff that's imprinted on your brain mm-hmm. early on, man, yeah. you know, probably in, in utero, but like exploring that stuff 
can probably be therapeutic, man. Exploring one's blueprint, like the, the, the why you are the way you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably pretty helpful for that, man. Yeah, it, you know, it's helpful, but it's also, it's painful, right? You, you, it's, it takes courage to explore that blueprint. When you got to go back and look at some of your life and be like, man, like this was my life, right? This is like, this is what happened, right? Whether it happened to me or I did something to somebody else, right? Like, you know, we've all done things that we look back on and say, man, I probably hurt somebody because of what I said or what I did, right? And now that's impacted you and how you move forward. Unconsciously, not even realizing you did it in some ways, right? Um, Consciously in other ways. So it is, it takes courage to go back and examine that part of your life and say, you know what? This is not actually good and I need to change this dynamic because it's going to impact other people in the rest of my life if I don't. But that's scary, particularly if you grew up in a family. And, and I tell the brothers all the time, this is how we always done it. We don't do it another way. And that gets ingrained in people's ways. So when you know that that's there's a better way or a different way, you got to go back and tell everybody in front of you. Right. Generations like. Mm, that's probably a lie what you was telling me right I can't live that way because that's not the best way and so that's that takes courage right and that takes pain to unpack some of that sometimes no doubt man and sometimes it takes the help of a professional to help you unpack some of that yeah, exactly that's a, no that's a whole nother ball game in terms of our podcast episode talking about mental health yes. and you know black and brown men and how we regard uh, that field so one of the other things you talked about with the blueprint was um, a sense about narratives and mm-hmm. and how folks can operate to change the narratives because some of the narratives, personal narratives that we have were chosen by us, you know, yeah. through our, through our actions, but some of those narratives are probably given to us, mm-hmm. you know, assigned by society. I think about what, um, Isabel Wilkerson talks about in cast and saying like white supremacy mm-hmm. is like a usher. In a, in a dark theater, like everybody just comes in and they just go and take their seat, right? Mm-hmm. Like where you where the system tells you you're supposed to be. How do you think about the narrative that leaders need to, need to either create or something that might be sort of thrust upon them? Okay. Yeah, see, you're going down another one of my um, hot topics that you know, I talk about all the time. I talk about is like um, controlling the narrative. I say this oftentimes with my leadership team. I say, you know, one of my things I seek to do is to control the narrative, right? How do I take the messages that have been shared with me, shared with us, right? And how do we redesign that, right? So the narrative that we're presenting is one that's healthy, one that's beneficial, one that's positive, right? Um, and so you have to control that narrative. In in, in conversations, when you're writing letters, um, you're always thinking about that narrative and, um, and how do you redesign it, right? But you gotta take time to really embrace it for what it is, um, good, bad, and different, and then say, how do I rewrite this narrative? So when you think about us as leaders, right? As men, right? Whatever narrative you you've accepted, right? you got to be willing to change it, right? Because it's it's up to you to change. You can continue to say that all, you know, all black males are X, Y, and Z, right? If you believe that, right? And that's a narrative you continue to read, that, that's a book you continue to read every day and believe every day, that will become your narrative. And that's the narrative you will pass to those you are leading, right? Those that you are partnering with. But if you look to change that narrative and know there's difference, right? Think about it, like, we are in positions of influence as leaders, right? And we can always influence others for better, right? Um, I just think about even like just having three, you know, African-American sons, right? That was a message I've always said, like your narrative is not going to be the narrative I heard growing up. But So I chose, right, from birth, like you're going to hear a different narrative about who you are, what you are able to do, and just the level of confidence you have. But I think for myself, right, I had to rewrite some of those narratives that I've heard growing up, right? Um, and in my in family and in community and in schools um, and things of that nature, I, you know, but I've always, one thing that I, that I personally try to do, um, I try to, I push back real hard on a, a narrative that I think is self-defeating. Um, and I've learned over my life from when I was younger, I used to, you know, express myself very differently around it, right? Get argumentative with teachers and maybe say or do some things I should. But as I got older, I've learned now how to respond and rewrite a narrative without um, being offensive or being overly aggressive towards people. Um, I shared a story with um, 
some people in my leadership team the other week, I said I had this chemistry teacher in high school. Now, remember I told you I was a science and math person, right? And we came in that room, right? A majority black high school, black Hispanic high school, probably like 98, 99%. And, and he used to, he told all the black and brown kids in there, he was like, none of y'all are smart enough to get an A in this class. None of y'all will ever get an A in this class. Now, now think about this, that just the narrative you're hearing in there. And I studied and I fought. I did all the things I could do, right? To try to get this passing grade, right? You know, um, and then I got a better grade. I didn't get the A, but I got, I think I had a B. And, and he tried to put me as a C. And I went back, I had to challenge him and all that stuff, right? But that was just a something. But I, people walked out of that room believing, and he said this. He said, none of you are here smart enough, or smarter than me, and none of you will be smarter than me. And none of you are even smart enough to do anything scientific. So even, yeah, those are the messages I'm talking to. It was crazy, like, you know, the stuff you would hear in this school from this teacher. But that was just a challenge to me. And I just had to rewrite that narrative. I wouldn't accept that as my narrative. And I pushed back against that. Uh, and so I think of that as leaders, like when you're hearing these messages, right, you can either accept them and embrace them or deflect them. It's kind of what I said earlier. So when I hear messages, I'm very, I'm very intentional in what I listen to and what I don't listen to and what I've deflected in a minute, like, oh, nope, not receiving that message. And I'll shift myself from a conversation or environment just so that doesn't become part of, you know, what I'm hearing or what I'm feeding myself. No doubt. That makes sense to me, man. Um, and I think that's a part of why a lot of us become either teachers or school leaders, man, is because we want to counter some of that that poison that folks were feeding us back in the day. Yeah. Hey, so you talked, you talked about the blueprint for someone's leadership identity, sometimes needing to be remodeled or reexamined or rethought. How do people know when it's time to, to rethink or, or reexamine or change their blueprint? So this is, this is, this is a good question right here. Um, it's it's going to be four R's I'm going to give you. Four R's is my, back to my alliteration piece here. So the first one I'm going to say reflect, review, revise, rewrite. So first thing is reflection, right? You got to really do a self-assessment, right, of, of that blueprint, right? Where am I at? What's working well? What's not working well? Really do some deep reflection, right? Not just for yourself, though. I think this is where a lot of us missed it at, Damon. A lot of us missed it. Who are your critical people in your life, right? I have five critical brothers in my life, right? I mean, these brothers will speak into my life and I give them freedom to just like, if it's not right, call me out, right? That's part of my reflective process. But before them, right, is my wife. I feel like she's my numero uno, like she's straight shooter, like this, boom, boom. And so that reflective piece, right? That's what I'm talking about being comfortable enough to hear that critical feedback, right? To be accepting of that. So that's where that reflection piece comes in. And I'll go to people, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Like, uh, uh, give me some feedback on that. Like, yeah, that sounds good. But this part right here, yeah, you need to really think about that. That's not really this and that. And so that reflective piece, once you have all that reflection, right? As best as you can, now you review it, right? Review for where you need to um, what's good, what's not good, right? You're going through this review process. I got all this information, right? It's kind of like when you're writing your dissertation, you got all this research, right? Now you're reviewing. Oh yeah, I don't need this. This is good. Now I can say this for later or whatever, right? And now once you've done all that review process, now starting to revise, right? Now you're the revision process, right? Now you're starting to revise things, right? Oh yeah, I wasn't really good in this and I need to kind of get better. Like how can I revise? How can I revise this section, right? This, this skill right here to make it better. Now, once you get to revision prices, now you're rewriting it, right? That's the last R. Now you're rewriting a new story, a new narrative, right? Now, when you go into that new narrative, right? You got to go and understand that it's a process, right? You, you're going to grow in that. Like, I'm not going to rewrite it and I would be like, you know, number 10, you know, if I'm going to scale one to 10, I'm going to be number 10, right? Top 10. No, I might be a one or two. But through the the through the rewriting process, right? Uh, something being rewritten, I'm building, right? I'm a one this week, you know, this month, and two, three months now. I'm a two, like you're building up, right? With a with a goal, right? Over a year, two or three years to be, you know, eight, nine to ten, whatever it is, you know, you want to be. But it's a constantly growing in that area. So that's what I think about when I think about that blueprint. You got to do some self reflection around where where you at, right? Review that, revise, and then rewrite. I was having this conversation with a brother recently, and I was like, um, I said to him, I said, have you really reflected on your leadership journey? I hear you want to be X, Y, and Z, right? But what, what reflect on where you're currently at? Like, do you understand where you're currently at? 
because you're never going to get to where you desire to be if you're not even reflecting on your current state, right? And, and doing some things here, right? Recognizing what you're good at, what you're not good at, your areas of growth. I said, because the journey for some people is they think I go from A to B, but sometimes you got to go A, A1, A2, A3, <laughs> and then eventually get to B, B1, B2. Um, and that's okay. It's not a right or wrong, but it's just like that reflection piece that I think is huge before you can even understand what to rewrite you know, a revise or rewrite if I haven't taken time to do some self-analysis, not just like I said for myself, but having other people you go to who you trust that you get freedom to tell you the truth, right? Not people going to sugarcoat it and tell you everything you, you want to feel good, but people are going to speak that hard truth into your life so that you can be better. Yeah. Um, Adam Grant, I read a book recently called Think Again and oh, yeah. at Penn, and he talks about creating challenge networks. A lot of people there are so focused on creating support networks of folks that are helping them think, think positively and feel good about themselves, but they don't open themselves up and request that critical feedback that's constructive that'll help them grow as well. And you need that, like you just said, not just from your friends or your spouse, but you need it from your folks, your colleagues at work and the folks that you, that you lead and serve, um, especially the, the students. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> especially the students. And so as we as we wind it down, you're listening to the the Bondcast, where we elevate the voices of men of color and the things that matter to them. We're talking with Dr. Norman Coleman about his principles of leadership and uh, leadership identity in particular. Norman, are there any things that you want to leave us with? Any any thoughts? Because we are winding down our time here, man. We've been been chopping it up pretty well for the last 45 minutes or so. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm going. I'm going to end with a, a a story I heard. This is um, a story. It's it's a true story as I as I heard it. But it, it's a story of a farmer who comes uh, out of Africa, and so I think this is so aligned with leadership and where we're at as just leaders. But he talked about he was out. The farmer was saying that he was out in the field and he had his sheep out in the field and he kept hearing his cry right here and his cry out beyond the bushes here, this cry. And he was nervous to go see what the cry was because he said it sounded like a cat, right? It was like, it sounds like a cat. I don't want to go back there. It's a cat, right? I, I got to protect my sheep, share my sheep. So eventually as the day went on, day went on, these hours out there, he got the courage up to go see what it was because it was getting nighttime. He said, if I don't go out there, it could be something that's hurt. If I don't go out there and rescue it, it's probably going to die in the night, right? Out here in the jungles, right? Of Africa. And so he went out there and he, and he, uh, he saw what it was. He went through the bushes. It was a baby cub. It was a, 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 a baby lion, right? A cub. And he was scared. He figured if the lion, the cub's here, there's got to be, you know, the mother or father somewhere near. Um, so he ran back, right? He stood up on a rock for another hour, this high rock. Nothing came. So he went back and he decided he was going to take the cub. So he took the cub back to whatever, back to his farm. Now, over the next couple months, right, he started to nurture this, this cub, right? And so, but the cubs stayed in the pens with the sheep, right? So over time, you know what the cubs started doing. The cubs started believing and thinking and acting like a sheep, like he was a sheep, like he was part of the sheep family, right? And so when they took the sheep out um, before, he noticed when lions or something would come, all the sheep would run and this lion would run, right? This baby lion would run because he thought he was a sheep right and then over time as i you know he fast forward the story he watched this for a while over time the the cub got stuck in a place where the, the there was the lion that was lions just come to the area was face to face with him so the lion went to roar and the the baby cub guess what he tried to do he he tried to roar but it, uh, it, it was almost like a sheep he like almost bad he's a bad like that right and then, but over time, he realized, like, hold on. He said, the farmer, the way he explained the story was like, hold on. He, the, that little baby cub realized when he looked at the lion and started realizing a sheep that I am you, I'm not them, right? And so the moral of the story, as you know, as I start, as I listened to that, right? And I said, we can be lions, right? As leaders, we can be lions, but we can, we can lose ourselves and become sheep. And it's all about the crowd of people you're around, right? So who you hang with, if you, what you believe, what you think, right? If you can be in a lion, a full lion, but if I hang around sheep, right, I'm going to act and think and respond like a sheep. So I think about from a leader's standpoint, right? If you want to be 
an impactful leader, surround yourself with people who are going to elevate your ability to lead, right? If you're always hanging around sheep, right? I just, I, I say to my, I use this thing analogy with my school because we're the key eagles, right? We're the eagles. I say, you're going to be an eagle or a pigeon, right? Eagles don't fly with pigeons, right? <laughs> eagles soar, right? We're up here. Pigeons are, you know, they're, they're ground. They're looking for stuff, right? They're scroungers, right? Either you're going to be an eagle or a pigeon, which you want to be today, right? Eagles, you know? And so that's the same analogy for me when I think about this line, right? If I want to be a leader, Surround yourself by healthy leaders. People are going to challenge you. We're going to question you. We're going to push you. But if you want to be comfortable, stay with the sheep. There's nothing wrong with being a sheep. Nothing wrong with that. But you can't do this work, right? Unless you want to, unless you got an attitude of a lion. That's just how like you got to be hungry. You got to want to go after it. You got to be able to grind. You can't be all emotional. You, you, you're sensitive. You just got to be a lion. So that's the story I think about. And as we close out here. If you want to elevate your leadership, surround yourself with people who are going the places you're going and doing the things you want to do, and they're going to challenge you and grow you. If you're comfortable, you want to stay comfortable, that's okay. Stay with the people you're with. If you, you know that's where you want to be at, it's nothing wrong with that. That's the choice you have to make. But if you want to elevate your game, get around people who are smarter than you, more talented than you, more gifted than you, and so that you can grow and learn and stretch and build your capacity. Yeah, that's that's great advice, man. I've heard that that proverb used with the um, with eagles and turkeys as the analogy. OK, <laughs> um, but the, I think that that is so telling, man. And one of the things I say to a lot of my to probably all of my friends, definitely a lot of them, is I'll hang out with people who don't inspire me. Yeah. You know, so like if if I don't if me being around you, your example for me doesn't inspire me to want to do more. then I don't think we really need to be hanging out. Yeah, I agree. So, um, so as we're wrapping up, uh, Dr. Norman Coleman, how can folks get in touch with you or find learn more about you? Yeah, so one of the things I, I, I'm in the process of doing and um, is I'm in the process of, of building out some leadership um, components. I actually have a newsletter that I've been working on. Actually, I'm in my third edition of it. I kind of put it to kind of rest for a little bit, you know, as I was doing some other things, but getting back into that. But and I'm also looking at building out my social networks and things like that right now. But the, my leadership email that I go by is, is, is brokenleadership at gmail.com. Um, if you shoot me something there, pretty soon I'm going to be, you know, having a website and things coming up in, in the near future, this 2022 and putting all these ideals I have together and, you know, that I write notes I've been writing for years and together, um, and start moving out there as well as they also build out my social network. My wife's been getting along about that. Like, you gotta get your social network out of yourself. Uh, gotta get that out there as well too. Um, but that's my, that's my leadership email, brokenleadership at gmail.com. Now you shoot me something there. I definitely don't mind connecting with people. I actually, too, I have some some Zoom sessions as well, too. They want to do some leadership stuff through Zoom. So I'll be pushing that out as well. And, you know, once I said, once I get this web page and stuff up moving, um, I just want to bring brothers together and just, like I said, build out leadership. Um, but that's an easy way to get to me is at that email address. And we can definitely connect the dialogue from there. All right. That's what's up, man. Norm, appreciate you coming through, man, and talking to us, man. This, this, yeah. was, uh, this was awesome, man. This was beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you for coming through to join this episode of the Bondcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Norman Coleman about his principles of leadership, particularly leadership identity. And you can find out more about the Bond Project, including our blog, professional learning videos, and podcasts at bondeducators.org online or at Bond Educators on social media. Be on the lookout for our next episode, which we'll probably be talking about our Bond Academy, which Norman will be there as a presenter. We hope you get the chance to come through. We'll definitely save a seat for you. Now, peace and be safe. <laughs>